You either love them or you hate them. Either way, welcome to the Away Fixture, your home for all things Premier League. I'm your host, Dakota Rock, coming at you from the Away section for stadiums across England. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another week of the Away Fixture after what proved to be another high-flying goal-scoring affair this weekend in the Premier League with 44 goals being scored in total. If you have not already done so, please go subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. Also, go follow me on social medias. I now have a Facebook page at the Away Fixture where I'll be posting all my content to also have a Twitter and an Instagram both of the handles are at the away fixture go give those a follow those are going to be your main source of content from me every day i normally post a certain clip of a little piece of each episode to kind of give everybody a little peek into what the full episode is to kind of get their attention that's where you're going to find those that's where you're going to find the releases of each episode and a lot of other content so go give those a follow guys those really mean a lot also Leave reviews, leave ratings for the podcast on Apple if you feel inclined to do so. So let's get into this episode. A lot has happened in the Premier League since we last spoken. I mean, oh man, a, a lot. I don't even know where to start. We can start with Tottenham signing Bale on loan and Regulon from both from Madrid. Regulon comes over for 25 million pounds as a left back to bolster that back line for Tottenham and Jose Mourinho. Bale signs on a season-long loan. Tottenham will cover 250,000 pounds of his 600,000 pounds a week salary. These are huge deals for Tottenham. Tottenham needed to get into the market to sign a striker. They signed the striker in Bale. They got him on loan, but that's good enough for right now. Bale brings a lot of creativity to this team, a lot of speed, a lot of attack on the wings. There's a lot of questions whether to when he'll be available to play. A lot of people are saying he won't be available until mid-October because of the injury that he picked up uh, in international play with Wales. Regulon also adds a lot of depth into the back line, a lot of skill up there to play the way Mourinho wants to play. Maybe he can get into the attack a little bit. Maybe Mourinho is looking to change the style of play just a little bit with an attacking wing back. A deeper squad is surely going to help this team going forward. They were scheduled to play three games this week. Luckily, the Leighton Orient game within the Carabao Cup got postponed due to um, Leighton Orient's team having a lot of positive COVID tests. So that got postponed. So that's good for them. They still play Thursday for Europa League qualifiers, and then they'll play this weekend as well. So depth is really going to help this team. I think a lot of rotation is going to take place until they get into a schedule where they're playing twice a week within Europa and Premier League. But until then, they're playing three games, possibly every other week or so on. So that's going to be huge for them. Another big signing that took place this week was Thiago signing for Liverpool. We'll get into that a little bit later. Diego Jota also signed with Liverpool from Wolves. So those are the big signings this past week. Some other headline news is Son scoring four goals against Southampton for Tottenham. Kane assisting all four of those goals and then having a goal of his own at the end of the game to make it 5-2. Danny Ings scored for 
Southampton, a little consolation brace for him. Kane setting a record during this game, being the first player to assist another Premier League hat trick since 2003 when Thierry Henry set up Freddie Jungberg's treble for Arsenal against Sunderland. Some other news is United off to a nightmare start, losing the Palace at home 3-1. Donny Vanderbeek made sure to pull one back to get United down 2-1 to get his first Premier League goal as a United player. You heard it at the end of the game. He was interviewed at the end and this he was not pleased with his performance. He was the most honest I've ever heard a player, I think, be about a performance. He just said it wasn't good enough, which all United fans know it wasn't good enough. There's a lot of talks that they're close to signing Alex Tullis from Porto. Supposedly, the deal has been agreed between player and club but not between club and club, which has seemed to be a theme for United this year because supposedly that's the same thing that has happened with Jadon Sancho, but evidently nothing else is getting done. I think United is getting really complacent with their market and the money that they have to spend, which is really frustrating, and the frustration is being shown through social media, which the club actually came out and made a statement about how they're displeased with how United fans are handling themselves on social media calling for signings and everything and the frustration building and United's just not taking it well. Also, if you're one of those people who hate soccer because it's boring and there's no action, supposedly, I would highly suggest watching a Leeds game as they can't stop scoring but also can't stop giving up goals. For match day one, they lost 4-3 against Liverpool. This past weekend, they beat Fulham 4-3. I mean, two go- two games with seven goals apiece, that's that's unreal. I mean, if you like goals, if you can't sit back and watch a defensive-minded game or a low-scoring game, go check out Leeds. I think you'll be highly entertained. So we're getting into the player of the week. My players, players, I'm going to go with two because it's pretty obvious who gets the player of the week nominations and the awards this week. It's obviously Sun and Harry Kane for their performances against Southampton. After the signing of Thiago, everybody's attention surely went straight to Stamford Bridge for that Sunday matchup between Liverpool and Chelsea. Frank Lampard only making one change to the lineup that he played at Brighton with Kovacic getting the start over Loftus-Cheek who got left out of the match day squad altogether. Throughout the game, Havertz kind of drifted inside to play more of a center forward while Werner drifted to the left-hand side. We'll get into that a little bit later. Liverpool coming out in their normal 4-3-3. Jurgen Klopp also only making one change to the starting 11 with Fabinho replacing an injured Joe Gomez at center back. Joe Gomez eventually picked up a knock in practice or in the last game, Jurgen Klopp said pre-match. Doesn't look to be too serious, so he'll be back in a week or two. Big story, though, was Thiago on the bench. You were kind of anticipating it. You kind of weren't sure, though, due to the fact that he just got signed earlier in the week. But Thiago made the bench. Thiago eventually would come in to the game at halftime for Jordan Henderson, who is still fighting to get 90 minutes fit. I also read that he was feeling tightness in his thigh, so that might also be cause of his substitution. But nonetheless, Thiago made his first appearance as a Liverpool player, and my goodness, what an impact he made right away, making his presence known. Before we get into a full breakdown, let's do a little quick rundown of the game. Liverpool came out in the high press, which we saw both in the community shield and against Leeds in match day one. Chelsea were finding ways to break the first line of that press, but 
Eventually, they could not beat the third, second and third lines to get into the goal-scoring opportunities. Liverpool were never looking to be on the back foot, though, and always looking to attack. As soon as the ball was won back, no matter where it was on the pitch, they were automatically in the goal. They were automatically going forward. One example being Sadio Mane's goal in the second half. No matter how much the Liverpool team would press, they just could not get that breakthrough goal to put them up against Chelsea in that first half, which would have been nothing short of deserving. Right before halftime, though, Liverpool might have been handed the thing that they were looking for a break Sadio Mane gets in behind the Chelsea back line when Andres Christensen pulls Mane down from behind with Kepa on charging to make a tackle the referee originally gave Christensen a yellow card but VAR had other ideas Christensen's yellow card would eventually get overturned to a straight red for denying a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity my thoughts on this is yes he pulled him down from behind yes Kepa was coming yes he was close to goal to me though this is just a tricky decision here there in my opinion being a coach and being around the rules and everything so often I think there's too many boxes to check when it comes to denying a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity what is it a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity i'm not i'm not too sure because you have keppa there on charging nothing says that sadio mane is getting around keppa even if christensen doesn't pull him down so it's a bit tricky it is what it is though christensen's yellow card got overturned to a red card the second half would be all liverpool though with chelsea being down to 10 men the introduction of a highly anticipated Santiago would prove to be the piece that finally broke the ice Sadio Mane finally breaks the deadlock in the 50th minute after some beautiful one-touch passing around the 18 for the first of his brace on the afternoon. Mane goes on to show why the press can work if properly executed and shows the one thing that every young player should watch. Mane loses the ball in the attacking third. Instead of giving up on it though, he pressures it back right away. To his reward, it is played back to Kepa who goes to pass it, but Mane comes up with a block and passes it right into the back of the net. Chelsea would eventually have an opportunity opportunity of their own though when Timo Warner gets tripped up in the box by Thiago which was probably Thiago's only mistake he made in the game but Allison came up with a big save to deny the home team from getting back into it the rest of the match would remain the same Liverpool putting on pressure with Chelsea battling with all the heart and spirit that they could let's get into Chelsea now a little bit let's talk about the biggest question of them all what's going on with Kepa Kepa has allowed 35 goals in 48 matches following the Liverpool game. Is he the problem? Is the back line a problem? Could be a bit of both. Chelsea have been known to be inconsistent with results stemming back from to last year under Lampard. But what's the what's the issue here? I mean, a lot of pundits are saying it's Kepa. He can't move his feet. I think Tim Howard gave a very honest assessment of Kepa the other day during the game about how he can't move his feet. He's slow with his reactions. I think it's true. I think with them wanting to build out of the back, I don't think Kepa is the right decision maker for that the right keeper to put in there the additions to the back line that we are still waiting for in Tiago Silva and Ben Chilwell and even Malanga Sar should help this as they would add experience to the back line and more of a winning mentality we're just waiting for them to get fit I think there's no injury problems Ben Chilwell and Tiago Silva are close from what I've heard it was also funny because right after Kepa gave up the second goal the sports journalist and reporter who has been spot on with transfers 
Fabrizio Romano, he tweeted about Mende finally finishing the contract and the signing for Chelsea to replace Kepa, which was, I thought was perfect timing. It was quite hilarious being he tweeting it right after he gave up the second goal. I'm not sure if he saved it or just the fact that that's when he was given the information and he decided to tweet it. Either way, timing was pure comical with that one. So like I said, Chelsea has completed the signing of Gerardo Mendy from Stadio Reynas, which will certainly shake things up in the battle for Lampard's first choice keeper going forward. Who starts? I'm not sure. I haven't seen much of Mendy, but either way, there's going to be a battle in there now, and I think that's the the reasoning for the signing of Mendy to give Kepa a little competition to possibly push him out if eventually what happens there. So one of the biggest questions I have about this Chelsea team going forward eventually is when Christian Pulisic becomes fit again after his injury injury is where does he fit into this team or not so much where he fits in but who he takes out does he play as a left forward which he has been known to do in the past last season we saw him heavily played at that left winger position but at the same time Timo was playing that left winger position against Liverpool when Christian comes back fit does Timo Warner move back into the center forward role does Havertz come out of the game entirely? Does Havertz drop into the 10? I mean, what happens here with this team? I mean, where does Mason Mount stand in all of it when Pulisic comes back into play? Because Christian Pulisic is by far their most threatening attacking player, in my opinion, right now. Outside of that Brighton game scoring goals, you didn't see enough creativity. You didn't see them get into goal as much against Liverpool as much as they should have whether that's the high press or they're just lacking creativity or lacking something up front. But I think Christian Pulisic, once fit, can bring that to the squad. But it's just a matter of who do we see go to the bench then because somebody has to make way here. In my opinion, it has to be Kai Havertz. Mason Mount has been a brighter spot than Havertz, in my opinion, in these first two games. And that's not me saying Havertz isn't going to eventually live up to what he's meant to be. He's not going to be a complete bust. But I think right now, Kai Havertz is still trying to adjust to this league and mesh with his team. He will undoubtedly be a good signing for Chelsea, but in time. It's not at the current moment. So with Pulisic coming in for Havertz, I think that allows Timo Warner to slide back into the center forward role and allow him to be the one getting on the end of chances and not the one trying to create them like he was against Liverpool on that left winger. Timo Warner, don't get me wrong, is a great player and a great finisher and he has those finishing abilities. So having him at that left wing position, I don't think you're going to get the most out of him as you could if he's playing in the center which was very confusing to me to begin with why Lampard switched those two, Havertz sliding into the middle and Timo sliding left. It was very confusing. Not much really came of it besides the penalty. Timo Warner gets it on the left-hand side, cuts it in across the box, gets tripped up by Thiago. A little, little soft penalty, but nonetheless, he gets tripped up. Couldn't score it. Allison comes up with a big save to deny them from getting back into it. But that's my opinion. I think we see Christian Pulisic push Kai Havertz right now to the bench. Christian Pulisic is a player with fascinating ability. I've talked about him before. He's a player who electrifies that field and electrifies everyone around him. He's a player with fantastic ability and an ability to make others around him better. And I think you're going to get 
a better partnership between Timo Warner and Christian Pulisic right now than you are between Kai Havertz and Timo Warner. I also think Mason Mount stays on that right-hand side. Mason Mount, I believe, is more known to the league. He's not so much a player that gets talked about a lot, but I think he does everything well enough that he keeps his spot. He gets players involved in the game. He gets into the game. He creates chances when he can. So I think Mason Mount stays in the game right now. I think Kai Havertz comes off. Christian Pulisic, once fit, slides into that left-hand position with Timo Warner sliding back into the middle. Another big thing that I noticed in this game was the lack of creativity within this Chelsea team to get in behind the midfield and the defensemen to get into goal against Liverpool. I think they struggled. They did well to beat that first line of the press within from Liverpool. But after that, they just lacked creativity to get the ball in behind the midfielders, in behind the defensemen. You saw a lot of the what they were trying to do was get the ball and slip it in for a through ball, which wasn't working, whether it was Kai Havertz not being creative enough with his with his runs to stay on side, which we saw many times. He got caught offside a lot, or his inability to get on the end of a ball when he was onside. To beat a high press, you have to be creative in that midfield. You have to you can't just rely on through balls and long balls, which is was the theme of that game for Chelsea trying to get in behind the back line even before Andres Christensen got his red card. So it's not just the fact that they were playing with 10 men, they lacked the creativity because they only had 10 men. They lacked creativity from the get-go. You would get Kovacic on the ball in between that forward and the midfielders because Liverpool was leaving that huge gap in between those two lines, which you normally shouldn't see within a high press. When you press, you're pressing together. You have 10 10 yards, 5-10 yards in between lines. Liverpool was keeping that high line, which caused them trouble as well, getting in behind. But Liverpool just broke them down, and Chelsea could not find the creativity to get in behind that midfield and those those defensive lines which proved to be a struggle for them in that first half especially when they were looking to go ahead to goal in the second half they kind of sat back a lot more just because being down the 10 men they kind of pushed towards the end just because they really had nothing to lose like I said in the beginning of this breakdown they played with a lot of heart and spirit I mean being down a man being down two goals they kept going in for the full 90 minutes so you they're not lacking spirit they're not lacking fight within that team they're just lacking in other areas and I think creativity could be the biggest one whether that could be Havertz sliding into the middle to get a little creative because I know Havertz is a player who is known to play the 10 position in Germany for Leverkusen. He's known to have that creativity aspect to his game. So whether he's just playing out of position right now due to injuries or what's going on, I think he could help. You got Hakeem Saish still coming in. I think he he's a player who can provide a lot of creativity for this team. But you're I think you're just lacking a little bit of creativity. If you go back and watch the game, a lot of it is Kovacic getting the ball in behind those midfielders and then either turning and playing it out wide to Marco Solanzo, who would eventually just play try to play a through ball to Timo Warner. But it's it's lacking something and I'm not sure if I I can put my finger on it right now hopefully they can figure this out I'm not sure how many other teams are going to play the high press like like Liverpool do so we'll see maybe a high press is just something that other teams will look to run against Chelsea because of the fact that they can't figure out how to beat that second and third line so it will be interesting to see what they do what adjustments they make going forward with when they do come into the high press and whether team team changes are made due to 
people coming back from injury. You have still Tiago Silva and Ben Chilwell and Malanga Sar, Christian Pulisic, Hakeem Zayish still coming back from injury or trying to get match fit going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see what changes take place within this Frank Lampard Chelsea team in the next couple weeks, next couple months. We're going to stay with the press of Liverpool, but we're going to move into Liverpool side of the breakdown. Getting back into the press, it looked, it was a press that we saw in both the Community Shield and against Leeds in match day one. There are some questions I have about this press, knowing what I saw and what I've been told and what I've coached with it. The gaps between that first line and that second line looked way too big in this liver in this liverpool chelsea game i mean you saw 15 20 yards in between the forwards and then the midfielders where you saw it kovacic like i talked about earlier kovacic was getting into those gaps where he could receive the ball he could either turn or if he couldn't turn he could drop it back and then they build up another way but within that press you can't have that big of a gap in my opinion i think you have to either go together or you don't go at all or that front line has to sit back a little bit more and the best part about it is being a coach you sometimes crowd noise can get annoying because as a coach you want to hear things differently you want to hear players talk you want to hear the sounds of the game so one thing that i thought was very interesting was without the crowd noise and being able to hear the players you could hear later in the second half during the press a liverpool liverpool player screaming together 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 with the press they were pressing Chelsea in that second half and you just heard the players screaming together 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 which is huge because in order for that press to be the most effective as it can be communication is huge so communication being together so I thought that was really interesting it was really cool because those are things you talk about at the youth level at the younger level so hearing those same concepts being talked about is huge and I think that comes down to and I'm not sure what player was talking it was saying it because you I can't put names to voices because I don't know enough of their voices I don't watch enough interviews so I apologize about that but I just thought it was really interesting how you heard a player screaming together 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 within that press to get the press done and it really came down to it a big aspect of that press was the fact that as soon as they won the ball back deep in the zone or deep into the attacking third they were always ready to pounce on the opportunities that were created and eventually they did they got the goal from Sadio Mane their second goal when Sadio Mane misplays a pass going forward eventually it gets intercepted by Chelsea but instead of getting upset and getting frustrated with his misplaced pass immediately he was on the attack on the press getting into the ball getting to the ball getting to Kepa who eventually mispasses it right into Sadio Mane's feet Sadio Mane gets the block and eventually he passes it into the goal but that's just that's a reward for the press I mean that's a reward for the hard work that he's putting in for 90 plus minutes every single game working on that press and putting the other team under pressure which is huge now the big story we're going to get into the highly anticipated signing the highly anticipated appearance by Thiago Thiago wasted no time making his presence known in the Premier League you didn't really know what his situation was going into the game you never heard anything about whether he'll be on the bench whether he'll be starting he eventually got on the bench he got named into the match day squad didn't start came on in the second half at halftime for an injured Jordan Henderson which I talked about 
feeling tightness in his thigh. But my goodness, what an impact this guy made. You knew what Thiago was capable of, but you got the full view of it during this game. Yes, they were up a man. Yes, Chelsea were depleted in that midfield and depleted in that game after being down a man. But Thiago was the central focal point of the possession-based style that Liverpool decided to implement in that second half being up a man. Completed 75 passes in just 45 minutes, which ended up being more than any Chelsea player in the full 90 and the most for any player in 45 minutes within the Premier League since the 2003-2004 season. I mean, my goodness, what a what a game that was by him. I mean, he definitely showed you why they bought him. He showed you even at 29 years old that he can play well into his 30s. He commanded that field like he's been playing in the Premier League all his life. The playing style did not matter to him. Thiago brings a certain creativity to the side from the midfield that they lack in a sense. Thiago, like many Spaniards, play the creative type of game. They like to disguise passes, play quick one-touch passes to their teammates who they've picked as the target three passes prior. I mean, you saw multiple times in this game where he would be facing one way. He'd be facing his outside back, but he'd play it forward to to Mo Salah or Sadio Mane without even turning his body. So his body would be square onto the touchline but then somehow play the ball forward into the attack. And it's just, it's the disguise of the passes, the creativity that he brought to that game was unreal. And he commanded that field like nobody I've seen before. And he's not just a one-dimensional player either. I don't even think you can consider him a two-dimensional player because everything he does, he does well. He has that skill set where he can do just about anything. He demanded the ball from his new teammates. Normally when you see a player come into a new side, they're a little bit wary, especially if they just get signed that week. So Thiago just got signed a few days before this game. He only had maybe one or two training sessions with the side before traveling to this to this game. And I mean, so maybe there normally is a little nerves. There's a normal disconnect between him and his teammates, but demanding it from his teammates early as soon as he got in was absolutely unreal and it was so enjoyable to watch cheeky passes throughout the 45 minutes to create chances and this is what Thiago brings to this Liverpool side the create the creativity to do this type of stuff in a high press and a possession-based attack within that attacking third and you kind of saw it with Jaimez too of Everton in that first week which we talked about which carried into the second week when he would slide into the 10 position command the game from the middle of the park the creativity between these players is unreal and it's one thing that lacks within the Premier League I want to say in a sense you don't see enough creativity within the Premier League as much as you probably should from these high level players. The Premier League is one of the best leagues in the world, but sometimes you get caught up watching attacking, counter-attacking style football. You don't watch that possession based into a counter-attack. You don't watch the cheekiness from the midfield. It was almost like Thiago was playing within a Pep Guardiola style of play where you bring it into the midfield and you cheeky cheeky it around the defenseman around the other midfield and putting it into the back of the net putting it in behind the back line and that's what you saw from Tiago so it was so much fun to watch Tiago absolutely commanded the league game made his presence known within the Premier League that's my kind of wrap up of that game I thought it was a really good game I thought Chelsea played well enough in that first half to get some kind of result until that red card 
but eventually it just became overpowered by the Liverpool press, the Liverpool attack, especially when you have a player bringing the player like Thiago that you're bringing on at halftime. I mean, how defeating is it to be a Chelsea player and you look over already being down a man, already running around for 45 minutes, and then you look over at halftime and all of a sudden a player of Thiago's caliber is coming in at halftime. It's like, oh, can I catch a little break here? And it's just, it was it was beautiful to watch. It was so much fun to watch. I really enjoyed that match. We're going to move on now. Last part of the episode here. So today, the Premier League has the government of England announced that there will be no fans allowed at games, which hinders the plan that the Premier League and its clubs had in place for a controlled amount of fans to return starting October 1st. The Premier League was really pushing for this October 1st restart date to allow fans due to multiple reasons. The biggest reason is the Premier League clubs have suffered 700 million pounds in losses at, and at present, the national game is losing more than 100 million pounds per month. This is starting to have a devastating impact on clubs and their communities. And we saw it before. I mean, a quote from the Premier League is, we are confident that the Premier League clubs using innovative ways to get supporters safely back in the grounds will enable revenues to, con- to return to all levels of the game as well as maintain solidarity arrangements, current tax contributions, and financial support for local and national economies. Going back to this, they talk about all levels of the game, which is a big thing, big talking point right now in England within throughout the four leagues, four top leagues, whether it be the Premier League or the Championship, League One or League Two. So I don't know how many people have seen it, but there was news going around that earlier this week that the English Football League, which consists of the Championship, League One, and League Two, are not enforcing their clubs to test as often as they have to in an effort to save them money. So in the Premier League, you're getting, you're testing your players and staff for COVID twice a week. And after that, you're you're still doing it. So you're getting those tests weekly, two times a week, so you can ensure that any effort to not allow this to spread and to keep going with games is there. But the championship and the League One, League Two have told their clubs that they're not enforcing them to do it twice a week like they were in the beginning due to saving costs. So this is having a huge impact within other leagues. The money is having a huge impact and revenue from fans is one of the ways to help ensure that these tests can be made and that we can continue to have football at all levels and you're seeing the consequences unfold right now so for league cup games premier league clubs are being forced to pay for the testing of these lower clubs in order to have the game so the carabao cup and the fa cup premier league clubs are being forced to pay for these lower clubs to get their tests in order for these games to happen but the biggest question that i have is yes the carabao cup and the fa cup are huge competitions within the country and gives the younger amateur clubs a chance to play against premier league clubs or play against league one championship league two clubs and it's it's the magic of the fa cup we all know about the big story about the fa cup how its teams can go on magical runs and we've seen it before but at what point does do these competitions not make sense to play during these unprecedented times we all want to see him being played, but at what point is enough enough where we can't do this anymore, where the costs are coming too much for these lower clubs and we just 
ditch it all together. I think that has to be talked about at some point because eventually it might become too much. And one of the examples is the Tottenham Spurs, Tottenham Hotspurs in the Leighton Orient game that was scheduled for Tuesday within the Carabao Cup that had to be canceled because too many Leighton Orient players tested positive for COVID. I mean, at what point do we say these competitions aren't worth it at this point in time and bring them back next year? And I think that has to be a talking point within the Premier League and within the FA in these next couple weeks to say, hey, we got to sit down. We got to figure this out. Whether they play it or not, they have to find some way to bring in revenue. And I know that hurts the revenue of the lower clubs again more. But at what point do we say it's not worth it? Do we keep the team separate within their leagues and not hurt the spread of it? Because eventually you're going to see the virus spread to the Premier League teams, even if they are getting tested twice a week. They're already getting spread to football league teams. So at what point is enough enough? And what point do we say that it's not worth the competition this year and bring it back next year? And I know that's going to raise a lot of issues and a lot of debate discussion on my podcast and with on my social media feeds. So it's going to be good, though. I think that's that has to be talked about and it needs to be talked about sooner rather than later. So that's going to wrap it up, guys, for the next week's game of the week, I'm actually going to let you guys choose. There is a lot of good games this week. I have one in mind, but I want to see what you guys say. I'm going to put a poll out on Twitter and Instagram to kind of get your thoughts. I'm going to let you guys decide which game I highlight next week for my match analysis and breakdown. Until next week, guys, please go subscribe, go rate the podcast on your listening platforms. Go follow me on social media. I'll see you guys next week. Deuces.